Hey, thanks for checking out the Grumpy Oz Retro Podcast. Just a heads up, we're currently in beta testing. The most obvious bug we've found so far relates to recording. We've done a bit of work to try and smooth out the bumps, but it is still a bit lumpy. In the meantime, if you could focus on the content rather than the slightly inconsistent sound quality, that would be great. Grumpy Oz Retro Episode 0 was recorded on the 30th of May 2023, so some of the references made in this podcast may be out of date by the time you hear this. Welcome to Grumpy Oz Retro Episode 0, a pre-release version of the Grumpy Oz Retro Podcast. My name is Tony and I've been making vintage computing related YouTube videos on the Oz Retro Comp channel for just over three years. For a while, I've been umming and ahhing over starting a vintage computing podcast with an Australian flavour. I only got serious about this a few weeks back when I bought a vintage computer from a local collector. He brought the machine around to my place, we got talking, I mentioned the YouTube stuff and how I'm keen to branch out into podcasts, and here we are. The other host, could you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, g'day. Look, I'm Craig. Uh, yeah, look, it was great to meet Tony, and we both sort of looked at each other, and he goes, well, I reckon yeah, we'd be pretty good to do a bit of a grumpy old retro podcast, and we there was a bit of a twinkle in both of our eyes, and I think we sort of sort of generally just sort of connected at that at that point, so I think it's sort of good that the two of us are about to bounce off uh, each other, be, be really good. Look, um, I sort of uh, always been into computers as a lad, you know, I loved it when I first got a computer, and as soon as I saw a computer, that was it, and I was into it, and I buddy didn't matter if I was at the supermarket or, you know, Kmart or whatever, and I saw a computer, you know, I was jumping on it and I was using it. Pescared the hell out of my parents to sort of get a computer. So, you know, I've always had a computer in my background and I sort of did move into IT for quite a few years and then I sort of got a little bit burnt out with the whole thing and pulled out of it around 2008, 2010. Sort of gave up the whole thing. I used to be like, you know, addicted to buying the latest video card and the latest CPU, rah, 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 you know, the, you know, the deal. And yeah, it just got burnt out. And then, you know, over the years, I sort of always jump back into some sort of, see some Amiga bundle pop up with, you know, a thousand Amiga games or, you know, 500, 500 best Commodore 64 games. And I'd download it and play a few games for a bit. And then I end up building myself a retro pie one Christmas and got stuck into playing that, some main games and a few other random uh, console games and Amiga stuff. And then I got a Pi Amiga and a Coco Pi. And oh, yeah. yep. I was sort of really digging it. And I was like, oh, this bloody, I love the old retro. And then a mate of mine rings me up and he goes, I've got a Commodore 286 PC with a keyboard and the screen. He goes, do you want it? Otherwise it's going to e-waste. And I said, bloody earth, do I want that? You can't send that to the tip. So I grabbed that, yeah. bought it home put it on the old uh, coffee table in the lounge room and my missus sort of sort of went, what's that doing there? And uh, <laughs> I fired the thing up, got it running, and it had California games, it had winter games, not the Epics one, an old one, a couple oh, of old right. RPGs and stuff on it. And, mate, I was just like, oh, wow, this is just, just started bringing back all the DOS memories. I had to edit the auto exit back. And, oh, yeah, God, next yeah. thing, you know, I was uh, sort of maybe into retro and I took it down to Adelaide Retro Computer Club and the, a few people thought it was an Amiga 4000 because it sort of looks very similar. Uh, and, yeah, just sort of to join the club, went a few more times, bought a Commodore 64. And, yeah, mate, buddy, the rest is history, down the big rabbit hole of buying every bloody computer under the sun. So that's <laughs> that's where sort of I'm at with the whole retro thing. And, look, like yourself, Tony, probably got piles of stories, you know, pretty keen to get those out there and let the people know what's going on out there. Yourself, mate? 
Yeah, you're spot on about the stories. Going forward, hopefully we can extract a few stories out of some other enthusiasts and people who were in the industry back in the day. Definitely keen to do that in some future episodes. Uh, Watch this space. As far as my story goes, I have a YouTube channel that's been going for just over a few years now. I'm not making as many videos as I'd like to at the moment for various reasons, so I'm giving this podcasting thing a crack just to keep things ticking along on the creation side. But back to my computing history. I had a very similar start to yourself, Craig. We're probably roughly about the same age. I'm a 70s child, I'll say that. Yep, yep. Even before I got into computers, my first video game memory was at a family friend's house. They had a Chrysler TV with a built-in Pong game. Wow. It was the first time I'd seen a video game ever, and, oh man, if I could find the exact model, even if it's busted, I would buy that in a heartbeat, because that's pretty much what kicked everything off. Maybe two or three years after that, our family got uh, our first computer. It was a VIC-20 I did some cool stuff with that, um, typing in programs, the old Usborne books and, and all that kind of guff. Cool. At school, I went to a couple of different schools. Uh, the first school I went to had one SX64 for the entire school, and each class would get to use it for a week at a time during the school term. That was that was all right. Uh, then at my next school, there were three Commodore 64s in the AV room. And that was even better. Uh, but, uh, but by the time I got to year seven, every classroom at my school had their own computer. The, uh, the old 64s went into the junior primary classes and the primary school kids got an Amstrad CPC 6128 in their classroom. And it was complete with a color monitor. So yeah, that was actually a pretty big deal. Uh, what was your first school computer, Craig? My very first school, high school, I only went there for one year. They had Tandy TRS-80 colour computer ones with green screens. Now, oh, yeah. you couldn't actually even get in there. You were very lucky to even get in the computer lab there. But I remember we did an excursion across the road to Norlunga Bowl and oh, everyone yeah. was playing arcade games left, right and centre and they were obsessed with Pengo just came out. So oh, yeah. one of the guys, that his dad actually ran the computer lab. He comes back sits in that lab for a week and he knocks out like a green screen version of Pengo on his TRS-80 in one week. And like the whole wow. school was just like, wow, who is this kid? He was, he was a machine. Looking at some of the news across the retro scene over the past month, the big news that was everywhere during the last few weeks are the two new retro style computers from China. The Hand 386 and Book 8088. I'm sure you've noticed this, Craig. Yep, seen it kicking around. Action Retro. He's an excellent YouTuber. He managed to get himself a Hand 386 before they sold out, and he's made a detailed video with his honest opinion on it, as well as a bit of a teardown. If you've read all about the Hand 386, but you still have some unanswered questions, this video is well worth watching. There's a link in the show notes, and as for the Book 8088... I know of at least three YouTubers who have ordered them, so expect to see some Book 8088 content coming down the pike over the next few weeks as they start filtering out of China. This is one of those stories that will be ongoing, and no doubt it'll be covered elsewhere as things happen. So this is just to say that, yep, we talked about it, we expect others to keep talking about it, they'll have a lot more to say about it than we do, and they'll probably do a much better job of it anyway. Yeah, look, uh, I've got my opinions. I've got a couple of laptop 386s and I'd just probably rather use that. You know, they, a lot of those are still actually running because they were pretty solid, solidly built back in the day. But And the handheld one, as far as I can see, it's probably going to sit on the shelf and look pretty good. Uh, don't see too many people using it for too long. But uh, yeah, good thing to display. 
some breaking news now, and literally breaking news. Just as I was editing this episode, Action Retro tweeted that his Hand 386 stopped working after he used it for a while with a USB flash drive plugged in, which led to his Hand 386 overheating. The story gets even more interesting as it turns out that the speakers may have caused the issue rather than the USB port itself. It's a bit of a strange one. You're probably better off just heading over to twitter.com forward slash action retro one to get updates on the situation as it develops. Yeah, it's a cool looking thing. And speaking of cool looking things, Lego Pac-Man. Yeah, dude at work, he's into retro and he's into Lego and he flicked this through to me the other day and he said, oh, you might be interested in this. So it's a arcade desktop uh, kit that's about a foot, I don't know, 14 inches, you know, 40 centimetres high. It's yellow. It's one of the half-height Lego kits. It's got the play field with the, with the little pills on it. It's got the joystick and the buttons. It's got a little cool little feature. I assume it comes with it that the coin slot lights up. So that's oh, pretty wow. cool. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know whether it's actually built in or you're going to buy some extra Lego to get it in there. You've got the three little dudes that sit up on top, Clyde, Pac-Man and Blinky. So they sit on the yep. top and they're sort of interchangeable. But the coolest thing about this thing is you can open up the back of it and inside is a, f- a minifigure with a full-size little uh, arcade Pac-Man machine that the guy's playing, playing it actually on the inside. So I thought that was really pretty cool. Yeah, it's 290 bucks US, comes out early June. Keep your eye out for that and uh, Blinky Clyde and uh, old Pac-Man. What, are you, uh, what else you got there on the news, uh, Tony? Um, I've got a couple of other items. Uh, one which is kind of an extension of of some work that's been done previously, but it, it looks as though the Windows XP activation algorithm has finally been cracked, and not just the key gen, but the activation oh. side of it, which is a game changer for those that are looking to run XP machines. Yeah, I've got a few XP machines for sure, but uh, I reckon my, my one's already cracked, mate. This is actually one step further than that. This is if uh, installing a new XP from scratch and it wants to phone home to activate or whatever, that's something which which XP was always, even to this day, still does. Someone's actually come up with a way to effectively crack that part of it also. And it was featured on a blog post over on Tiny Apps, which is an excellent website, tinyapps.org, which has a lot of these old apps for, for old computers and stuff. Hopefully one day someone will do the same thing with Windows 7 to yep. play Windows 7 forevermore. Uh, I'm not going to tell you about my stories of building uh, other servers to crack other servers, but, yeah, we'll, we'll worry about that later. Uh, It'd be but, good to uh, do a bit of an episode on um, piracy and um, nefarious uh, activities, as long as the statutes have uh, moved on. As long as Nintendo isn't involved, I don't think anyone's really going to give a shit just quietly. True. There's a story in that, but, um, yeah, carry on. Moving on to our final story, there's a new documentary about the Commodore 64 being made called I Adore My 64. Now, this is being made by an actual filmmaker. Uh, His name is Jeff Sharp, and he has over 25 years of experience in filmmaking. He's Canadian, and apparently he cut his video editing teeth on a video toaster. He's legit. Cool. So far, he's released a 10-minute trailer to promote his upcoming Kickstarter campaign to help fund the film. The trailer's on YouTube. He's interviewed some well-known identities in the Commodore 64 community, including Bo Zimmerman, Anthony Becker, Leif Bloomquist, and David Murray, a.k.a. the 8-Bit Guy. 
So we've got some pretty serious people in the Commodore community on board with this project. The Kickstarter hasn't gone live yet as of the time of recording, but I suspect it'll be similar to other crowdfunded films about retro computing, such as Viva Amiga, The Story of a Beautiful Machine. And, and love those docos. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. Get on it. I reckon uh, that'll be... I might get on the Kickstarter. I'll jump on it. I missed it as well. I didn't see the story, so I'll be pretty, pretty keen to have a look at that. There are plenty of online retro communities out there, but there are quite a few in meat space as well. Many larger cities have vintage computer users groups, and Adelaide is no exception. So ARC is Adelaide Retro Computer Group. It's been around for quite a while. actually stemmed from the original Adelaide Amiga user group, which used to meet at Marion. I used to attend that as a lad in my late teens, early 20s, and they used to have video toasters, and we used to swap wares and stuff there way back in the day. I've only probably been in ARC for the last three years, but it is a like-minded group of enthusiasts that are into all things retro, and I've seen everything there from consoles to arcades to stereos to all sorts of musical bits and bobs, so it is very much focused on the retro community. Generally, we tend to have a bit of a theme, and May's theme was 90s, so we've actually had a couple of gigs where we've had 80s, and we might just even pick a letter like A for Apple, Amiga, Amstrad, take your pick so it's pretty cool that we have those themes and it sort of sets the scene for people to focus on something to bring that sort of machine machine along yep this month was 90s month there were a lot of 90s based pc machines there actually one of the things that was pretty cool luke our resident dj he set up a, on the projector he set up a bit of a rage inspired video clip stream he had going there was everything going from corn and limp biscuit through to barbie girl unfortunately but that was <laughs> that sort of set the scene that was pretty cool so there was heaps of pcs there was guys playing uh Sega rally descent i saw duke like the platform duke oh there was a bit of diablo going on there was some hexen 2 there was also some other guys that had these three machines connected via serial and they had a little Librato connected as well and they were playing Empire Earth or something all across the serial ports. I thought that was pretty cool. There was a, one of those original Mac clones. I think that was a, a bit of a throwover from the Jobs era. That was a beige number. That I didn't really get a chance to look at that too much. There was a Mac LC30 there. Now, I think those LC30s are really good because you can actually harvest all the chips out of those for for an Amiga. So they do have some use. Finn McCaller. So Finn, who's got Epsilon World, and he's pretty tied to those Amigas. He's got his own blog. It's very well worth a read. It's excellent, actually. And, you know, he'll just go through 25 pages about what he's done on his uh, Amiga 600, 500, you pick it. He does an excellent wrap-up of all his Amigas. Anyway, he had an ACA 500 Plus, which is a side card. That takes two compact flash cards. I think it's got a bit of extra memory on it. It's got different bootloaders, so you can boot into different kickstarts. But the cool thing about it, I thought, was that actually he said it took uh, an Amiga 1200 accelerator, so I thought that was probably a good sort of co-use. I took a genuine Commodore 486 SX25 that I'd sort of been working on restoring. When I got it down, he had a Pentium 90 in it, and uh, old Greg and Declan in the club are pretty resourceful. They managed to find the original 486 board, so I got that completely restored, and they got that sort of half up and running for us. Basically, it's just a Prince of Persia machine, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, SX25 is pretty pretty ordinary. But I put a brand new sexy retro kit dark grey case and the retro kit black key case, uh, new keys. Also, I was on the Kickstarter for the tank mouse. I don't know whether too many people got on that. I got four tank mice in the end. One I gave away to a mate, but I've got a couple of black ones and a beige one. 
But yeah, that really, really set the scene having that. And there's some pictures on the Adelaide Retro Facebook group. I had my Amiga actually plumbed into had the other video port. I had it plumbed into Graham's SGI Indie machine. So he had that up running on a little window up in the top left-hand corner there. Oh, wow. gee, it was like 140 by 200 screen width. <laughs> and I reckon he said he managed to capture about 10 or 15 seconds worth of footage before he ran out of either memory or disk space. That was pretty good. Look, we did a bit of a wrap-up. We're trying to see whether or not we're going to present at or do a display down at Hackerspace. They've got Science Alive in August. We we're potentially going to set up a bit of a static display or maybe... Uh, probably an interactive one. I was going to throw in an Amiga 500 or something. Somebody else, one of the other guys there is right into plotting and knocking out stuff from his uh, Commodore 64, printing out AT&T walkers and stuff. That's pretty cool. So we'll see how we go with that. Had a bit of a chat about our new yearly fees that are coming up. And it was about that point that somebody's monitor let go and blew some tantalum capacitors and let the magic smoke out. I brought my Commodore 128 into the lounge room once and... Out of only ever two computers I bought in the lounge room, it was sitting there for about 15, 20 minutes, and my wife was in the same room, and it went clack, 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 and I thought the floppy drive had died. But then all the smoke started pissing out the top of it, and my missus just freaked out. I had enough time to get a photo, and same <laughs> the other night at ARC, I managed to get a photo, and it was pretty funny, actually. It was like about 40 dudes all standing around having a huge laugh as all this smoke's pissing out of this monitor, and uh, <laughs> somebody pulled the plug on it pretty quick. But, uh, yeah, look, next month is a music theme, and that's on the 9th of June from 5.30. Check out the Facebook group. And, yeah, occasionally I post the photos up onto Reddit on Retro Battle Station, so check that out as well. Yeah, we'd like to see you down at ARC, pretty much free for the first entry, so, yeah, get on down. Cool. And just in case someone's listening that's not already in the ARC group, what was the Facebook address? Facebook.com slash Adelaide Retro Computing Group. This is a part of the show called Underdogs. This is where I nominate a couple of YouTube channels or podcasts or some sort of retro-themed content or vintage computing or vintage electronics content, all that sort of stuff, where there aren't a lot of views and maybe they don't have all that many subscribers. And these are the channels that I think are criminally underrated. And my nominations for this month They're both very similar, both work in the same side of the street, and they've both collaborated with each other. The channels I'm thinking of are Rose Tinted Spectrum with 3,500 subs and Wadho Snorkers, who's only got about 800 subs. Now, these guys are British, and as the name Rose Tinted Spectrum might suggest, he is really into his ZX Spectrum stuff, a lot of ZX Spectrum reviews. He does all these really crazy, a lot of like animations, and the production value is right up there. And he also has a series where he rips the piss out of a TV show from the 90s called Bad Influence, which was an institution in Britain. It was kind of like Good Game, like what we had in Australia with Good Game, only only obviously that was started about 15 years before Good Game did. So Rose Tinted Spectrum does make some fun videos where he just you know gently takes a piss out of them. And What Host Snorkers, he... Again, Spectrum-themed stuff mainly, and he gets into character and does all sorts of really wacky stuff. So check out both of those channels. Uh, Links will be in the description and in the show notes. Those two are my underdogs for this episode. Here's Craig's cream of the YouTube crop. This one from Retrobits has been out for two or three weeks, actually. I only just come across it the other day. He basically... Did a mini docker, it sort of goes for 20 minutes on RipScript, which I'd never heard. It looked like a bit of clickbait, to be honest, when I first saw it. 
I'm like, oh, this, what's this rip script? So he basically started off the, the little docker about the early internet, which was, you know, BBSs and ANSI and how it broke through into the internet that we know today. But what he did, he did a bit of a little bit of a history of this in between bit, which was the rip script or RIP term and RIP script was a set of packages and a protocol that they actually gave away. And the way it worked is you use RIP script to develop these pseudo sort of style web pages. So it supported vector graphics and it supported like hot zones or hot spots and menus. So you could sort of launch off and launch a graphical user interface before that was sort of the, the web. I found the doco actually quite interesting. Yeah, so it supported 650 by 350 graphics in 16 colors in sort of VGA. And he sort of goes through how you build it. Actually, it was all done with vector graphics. The scripting software was pretty intuitive, not too, too hard to use. But then it basically spat out a massive text file that was crunched and then sent down over 56K. But mm. I'd just never heard of this rip script before. Have you sort of, Tony, you heard it before? Yeah, I actually have. I've never actually seen it in action, but I do remember it being talked about online because back in the early to mid-90s, BBSs were still a thing, FidoNet yep. was still a thing, and you'd sometimes see rich script being talked about on various FidoNet echoes. You'd see some BBSs from the US or Canada with yeah, rich right. boasting rich script as being one of the reasons why you should call their BBS or whatever. Never really took off over here, and I suspect it's because the BBS software we had over here, we didn't have the variety of software that they had over in the States, mainly because back then, international phone calls were so expensive, and you'd have to wait for someone to go and make the call. A lot of this software came via FidoNet, via the the name of the file sharing system, but they'd they'd download a certain number of files per week. So there'd be a very small number of softwares you could choose from. And like BBS softwares, there's only really about half a dozen that were in use on PCs. And the most popular one back then was Remote Access, which was developed in Australia, developed in Perth, I believe. So, of course, Australia, big on Remote Access, obviously some Opus BBSs, Maximus and that sort of stuff. And as far as I remember, none of them actually had rip script support. So that's probably why well, it didn't take never off. really took off. Yeah, because yeah, I remember back in the early 90s, I had an Apana account, which used to cost me 55 bucks a year, which basically just oh. gave me a, yeah, a Linux, a Linux, you know, a Linux um, I had one console. of those. I wish yeah. I could remember my username. I'm bugging if <laughs> I can remember it. But that was my that's first hilarious. foray into the internet. So I know exactly. Yeah. Back, mainly for the news groups is what I used it for. Yeah, I used, I used, to, I used to live on IRC as a lad. Uh, FTP, wow. Pine for email. You know, I lived on the bloody thing on that Apana. I could, you could never get through to my house because I was always online. Yeah, it was a it was a good way to get on the net very early on. But um, yeah, so I just found that pretty interesting. Well, Retro Bits is not too bad. He's got quite a few subscribers. I think he's got eighteen thousand or something. But I've watched his video on setting up ship shapeshifter for the Amiga before. No, it's just a good little doco. The funny thing was, you said there was actually another protocol that was released by Atari when the ST actually was sort of at the end of its last legs, but it never really took off. So my thought was that maybe if it was actually released on the Amiga, then it, you know, still be around today. <laughs> but that's just yeah. Me. I saw that. I saw the video. It's, it's a great video, well worth watching. And thanks for the heads up, Craig, because it was in my notifications. But because there's so many channels I follow, I don't get to watch them when they come out necessarily. So I'm glad you pointed that out to me. And being the grumpy old bastard that sits on the couch and has got no time but spends all his time watching YouTube, sometimes I'm a, a real bastard and I'll just sit there and I'll, you know, I'll give it two or three minutes. And if it doesn't capture me, then, you know, sometimes you end up moving on to the next thing. But yeah, it was good that the grumpy old bastard in me didn't quite come out. So that was good. 
The other one I got into was Chris Edwards' restoration. So if you're into Omegas, you already know about Chris. He's like the bloody oh, yeah. guru out there who gets, you know, all the early beaters and little bits of tricky bits like Pi Omega and that. But he had the Mini MIG from Canada, which is a brand new board that's a Mini ITX. Um, it's got a 68,000 CPU on it. I'll, I'll come back to that. But the rest yeah. of the board is FPGA, so it emulates all the other um, Gary and Paula, all the other chips. Uh, the memory is all on board. It's got VGA, it's got a PS2 mouse and keyboard, so that's pretty handy, especially now that you can get, um, you know, Amiga keycaps and stuff pretty cheap for some of those AliExpress keyboards and that. Uh, I yep. think I had HDMI. Uh, power-wise, it had a 12-volt barrel jack, so you could just fire it up from a normal 12-volt power supply, but it also had an uh, ATX power supply on the motherboard. So it'd be a great one to stick inside of a Checkmate mini, mini case or some sort of shuttle box or whatever. But the cool thing was, like the CPU, when you actually purchase it, it comes with a 68,000, which normally runs at 7 megahertz. But this one actually ran, yeah, they got it cranked out to 50 or 60 megahertz, which I found oh, wow. quite interesting. Yeah, from a, from a stock 68,000. Yeah. And where, where Chris sort of gets into his element is the fact that he's, he's pretty good at, fires it up and he's running some demos and stuff on it. And you can see that the timing and all the sounds all correct. I mean, I've got a Pi Storm, and that's sometimes pretty glitchy, depending on yeah. what speed you run it at, and you know, you know, you get crashes and stuff. Yeah, that thing, thing seemed to be pretty rock solid, actually. Then the cool thing he did after that is he dropped that 68,000 chip out, and he dropped his Pi Storm in it. And because it's got an SD card as a sort of a bootloader and for loading Amiga images on it, he was able to load another bootloader that saw the Pi Storm and then booted the Pi Storm. So mm. I thought that was that was pretty cool. It's got some functionality built in. I think he hit F12 and that popped up a menu and he was actually, even through the Pi Storm, actually able to mount some images off the actual SD card that was sitting on the board. And then he cranked it out again and he popped in his uh, ACA 530 accelerator out of the 500 and dropped that in there and got that up and running as well. I just thought it was a pretty cool new board that someone who probably doesn't want a 500 and have to deal with all the headaches that, you know, they're reasonably reliable, but they're quite big and chunky. And yeah, yeah if you just wanted something that was modern, probably ran pretty well, multifaceted in terms of being able to load different software and packages. And I thought it was a pretty cool package all, all around. It's 350 bucks Canadian. I think I worked out it to cost me about 480 landed here in Australia. I tend to look a lot on eBay, as many of us do. I suspect you're guilty of that, Craig, and totally. you're guilty too much of time. Too. Yeah, yes. oh, that's it. I try to avoid it. But I do like to get on there and have a bit of a squeeze, and I've noticed there's been some really interesting stuff for sale in Australia at the moment. It just seems like the more exotic stuff's getting a bit of a run. Mm. And one thing that came to my attention just this morning an Apple Macintosh Performer 5400 slash 180 Director's Edition. Now uh, the black one? The black one, yes. Yep. I looked into this a little bit further. This particular incarnation of the Director's Edition was only available on the Australian market. If I've got this wrong, then please you know, let me know. It could be a very sought-after machine for a hardcore Mac enthusiast. That being said, I'm not sure how sought after it actually is because the starting bid is $6,900. Wow. Well, yeah. can I, it's funny you should say that. We picked up one for the club for Adelaide Retro because someone donated it because their brother had died. 
Oh, unfortunately, yeah, yeah. yeah, fortunately, yeah. come with like 40 boxes of books. So, sorry. And then wow. there was another 20 archive boxes of magazines, which we managed to move on through the club and give away, which is great. Yeah. yeah. Nice. But yes, we got one of those black Macs and we tried to get someone to actually repair it who, who fixes a lot of stuff for us in the club. And the bloody thing just fell to bits literally on the inside. He got to the point where the motherboard and all the components, it just basically shed itself from the inside. Couldn't support oh. it. Couldn't support its own uselessness. So at six thousand uh, dollars, yeah, I reckon you're buying. Whoever gets it shipped, if it gets here in one piece, it'd be a bloody miracle. But that's my opinion on it. Um, so I'm no Mac aficionado. I'm a long way from it. But uh, yeah, yeah, good luck to whoever buys that. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. It's um, it's a cool looking thing, but for yeah. how long, I don't know. And I think it'll be on the market for quite a while at that price. I realise that Mac fans are very passionate. And also realise that some of them are willing to pay big bucks for certain machines, like a 20th yeah. anniversary or, a, or an original Lisa or something like that. But yeah, it was limited know. edition, definitely. It was limited edition, yeah. and I reckon you're right, just Australian only. I think it had a TV tuner in it as well. That's it's right, it had cool. a power yeah. tuner, which yeah. I, think, I think it was the only one that had a power tuner. I think the other director's editions all had NTSC, but again, I'm happy to be corrected nah, right. on that point. Oh, someone will correct you. The, the machine I was going to just bring, and I'm still bringing them to the table, it's time for me to whip them out. Well, there are a couple of Wangs for sale on eBay Australia at the moment. The Wang Professional is actually quite an interesting machine. It's an 8086, but it's not IBM compatible. It's similar to a Deck Rainbow 100 or Apricot in that it's an Intel machine that runs DOS, but it's a bit of an oddball DOS. So this is a bit of a weird unit, yeah. this one. And there's two of them currently on eBay as of the time of recording. Completely different ends of the price spectrum, completely different conditions. The cheapest of the two is just the CRT and the system unit only, and the vendor is looking for 350 But there is the technical manuals on BitSavers, which they're excellent technical manuals, and you could probably rebuild a lot of the stuff it needs, like cables and, and keyboards yeah. and whatnot from, from scratch, but that is quite a big project. Totally. The, the other end of the spectrum is one that's been on eBay for months. It's the whole shebang. It's in really nice condition. It even has the monitor arm because the Wang Professional Computer did have this really long monitor arm, which looks really cool. And that's on yeah. the market at the moment for fifteen ninety nine. Buy it now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Adelaide. So if you live in Adelaide, at least you won't have to pay for shipping. It is a really really nice machine. But given how businessy the Wang Professional Computer was, you probably can't run Doom on it. I don't think there's a version of Bad Apple that'll run on it, so I'm not yep. sure. It's a cool thing to look at, but I I mean, if it was like three or four hundred bucks, absolutely I'd have it in the collection just for funsies, but for sixteen hundred you'd have to be keen. That's probably why it's been on the market for a few months. I believe there might be some other Wang-related stuff uh, on the horizon as well. Like, I was almost not going to talk about the Wangs because of the whole, you know, it was a bit sort of immature, like Teehee Wang or whatever. But uh, <laughs> you mentioned something that kind of made me think, yeah, okay, well, well, let's get the Wangs out and see what's going on. Let's see how they measure up. Well, yeah, so I did a bit of a retro road trip the other Monday, and we were heading to Mount Gambier, which is obviously pretty close to the Australian Victorian border. We couldn't catch up with this guy until 4 o'clock. But it sort of goes back a bit. This guy I know sent me some photos of this Wang, and they're sort of rough photos, and I took a look at it, and it looked really cool. I'm like, this is terminal, looks like it fell out of Fallout 4, or a nuclear bloody Fallout shelter, and I went, shit, that's awesome, dude. I'll give you 150 bucks for it straight away. And he goes, oh, yeah, no, I think I'll hang on to it. 
And then I saw him at a wedding a couple of months ago, and he goes, oh, when are you coming to get that wang? And I said, we're there, dude. So I teed up with another mate who cruised down to Mount Gambier and picked the thing up. And we couldn't catch up with him until four. So we did a few op shops. I picked up GDA2 and Little Britain for the PS2 and a few other random things. We ended up going up to the road to grab the Wang, and, yeah, it was just sitting there. So if you've got some time, have a look for a Wang 2626 on Google Image Search. Now, I have whacked a copy of the photo in our show notes. This thing is a beast, and it looks really cool. Did a bit of research on it, so we grabbed the thing. But it is actually a true desktop because it actually had a whole desk that came with it, which we didn't actually obviously get. We only got the mm. top terminal, but the whole desk actually ran the system. Yeah, it really looks like it fell out of 1961, but it was from 1981. That got the wang. I picked up a 1701 Commodore monitor and Amstrad PPC 640, which I was selling for the dude, and we flipped that through Adelaide Retro pretty quick, actually. So, yeah, I've got this really cool green screen wang thing, which hopefully might be able to connect up to a bit of a serial port or something and maybe get a bit of image uh, happening on there. And I spoke to another mate the other day about it, and he goes, oh, I reckon I might have a TV, an old screen for that if it's blown. So, yeah, the old wangness uh, certainly come together, mate. So, yeah, may the, may the wang long long live. What do you think yeah, about I'm that? Sh- <laughs> oh, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, it sounds like a very impressive wang, and I'm sure that wang will be cleaned up very nicely. Yes, yeah, mate of mine's already cleaned it up. It, yeah, it looks really cool, so it'd be great to get it running. Uh, one of the guys in the club's really good at getting some of this old crap like fired up. It's amazing what T manages to restore, so yeah, we'll see how we go with that. Should be at Adelaide uh, Retro's next June meeting, so if anyone's keen to have a look at the old Super Wing. So we've called this podcast Grumpy Oz Retro, but we really haven't been all that grumpy so far. I mean, it's a great hobby. The vintage computing hobby's great, but it's not always skittlebrow. So there's got to be something that'll make us grumpy. What about you, Craig? What makes you grumpy? Maybe the Australian aspect at the moment, because I'm sort of into Amigas and a few, some of those weird UK machines like you like, those speckies yeah. and BBCs and stuff. Bloody postage for, you know, yeah. you want to buy some $22 gadget, which will sort of get you up and running. And yeah, all of a sudden you've got, 38 bucks worth of bloody postage. If it's eBay, forget about it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's a few good sites like Sell My Retro. Their postage is not too bad. And Sordan over in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, that's sort of, I find that a little bit frustrating. And then, obviously, you've got the weight. I'm building a retro room, which is keeping me grumpy but happy at the same time, yeah. um, out the back of my house. But I don't have the room. So, you know, you, you go, oh, this is broken. I need a new chip for this. And you finally source a chip and you find it. And it's going to be six or seven weeks away. I just don't have the room. You've got to end up packing stuff up. And yeah, so I think I'll be a happier, grumpier bloke once I've actually got a bit more space to spread all my shit out. And uh, that will, <laughs> that will ungrumpy me a little bit. Yourself, mate? What's, uh, what's, what's getting you um, rolled up these days? Yeah. The postage thing, the tyranny of distance is one of those things. And, Getting stuff shipped over to Australia is a challenge, but you've got to take your lumps. Sometimes it's worth doing it if you look at the bigger picture. For example, I bought a NABU. You bought a NABU. We are basically the South Australian NABU users group right now. And I know that the shipping wasn't cheap. The actual machine itself was, well, 80 bucks US, so like 100, 110 bucks Australian. But all in, it was about 320 delivered which sounds like a lot, particularly with the postage. But when you look at the context of it being possibly my only chance of getting a brand new in-box vintage 80s computer for that kind of money, it doesn't seem all that expensive. Uh, Are you into originally boxed machines there, Craig? Yeah, I'm a bit of a box man. Actually, I just flipped out a C16, Commodore C16, which I had, which I bought for the UK. And it had some burn marks from the foam, which was from the box. 
funnily oh, enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I sort of had it, and I was mucking around with it, and another one popped up on Australian Buy Swell Swap, and I ended up grabbing that because it was pretty minty in a box with a joy. Yeah. I didn't actually realise I had the joystick with it, but because oh, wow. they're quite hard to get and a few games and stuff. So I managed to sort of flip that out. Actually, what shat me off about that is when the guy posted it, he said he used the send- sending service, but they left the cassette recorder, the 1351, sitting on top of the keyboard. And oh, obviously God. inside the box, it flew around on its journey to Adelaide and it snapped off one of the keys. Oh. So I've just boxed it up and put it away, but I will fix it. It's fixable. I'll drill it out and I'll put a new stem in it and get it up and running. But yeah, but I do like things in a box. Uh, a, that's easy to stack them and put them away. Uh, B, it's a good display piece. And, you know, it's just, yeah, I, I'm a bit of a box man myself. So yourself? Yeah, I'm a bit of a mixed bag, although to go on a sidebar, thanks for reminding me of the thing that pisses me off more than anything is that people that don't know how to pack yep, things totally. properly. I mean, how hard is it to get some bubble wrap and to kind of do it properly? Totally. Um, when someone does pack something really well, I'm just blown away. A couple of years back, I bought a TI-99 4A from another collector and it was packed absolutely beautifully. He used like some old foam like it was recycled material but he packed it so nicely so nicely in fact that i actually made a video on my channel just showing off how well packed this was and it's effectively like my way of saying look if you're going to send me things in the post or by courier or whatever please do this this is the approach i take whenever i move something yep. on and i need to ship it i will just make sure i will overpack stuff you know on that's the same. one of those things which Exactly. Yep, you know, you can't totally. you can't be too careful with the packaging. I actually put it in my eBay listing now. I say we'll be packed very well. Exactly right, particularly because there are other enthusiasts out there that will be disappointed if it's not packed properly, and understandably so. Bloody oath. Speaking of packaging, boxes, they're, they're nice to have. I wouldn't yeah. necessarily pay more for a computer if it comes in a box. And I'll be honest, I have done this once where I did pay a little bit more for a machine. It's one of my BBC micros. Because the machine is in such beautiful condition, I can't bring myself to use it. It's just too nice to use. So that's just going to be sitting <laughs> in a cupboard and I'm just going to use my well-loved master to get my BBC action or whatever. Kind of in two minds about, about the box situation. It's nice to have if you've got the box, yep. but if I don't have the box, it's not a deal breaker. Have you got some machines that you always have on the, on the, on the go? You got something that you prefer to leave on the bench constantly so you can turn it on and have a, have a crack? It's usually an acorn, depending on what else I'm doing at the time. It could, it could be the master or it could be the electron. So we're going from one extreme to the other. Uh, it all depends yeah. on how crowded the desk is. If it's too crowded, then the alt comes out. But if I've got some breathing space and it's the master, I've got my ZX81 and one of my spectrums on display. And they're usually my go-to if I want to do some spectrum stuff or ZX81 stuff. It's just so handy. I can just reach over and grab it and then just start playing with it. And I also would like to have one of my old Macs just out on a desk, almost just like as a talking point in the lounge room, you know, it's like in a corner there, maybe put the Mac Plus out or the Power Mac 7200 or something like that, just to kind of, when people like a rando walk into my house, they go, oh, wow, that guy must be a hipster. He still bloody does computery shit on a Mac. But what about yourself, Craig? Well, either that or they look at your Mac and they go, oh, we used to have one of those. Oh, but it stopped working. <laughs> Sorry. Huh. Yeah. Well, not, that's not the it, biggest, you know, yeah, not the biggest Mac fanboy over here. Uh, probably the opposite, mate. I've always got a 64 or an Amiga sitting on standby. I've got, I've got a Kung Fu Flash for my, my 64. And yeah, quite, actually, some, quite often I actually plan my, whatever computer I'm going to get out is based on whatever I'm going to be doing at Adelaide Retro. So it depends oh, what yeah. the, the meeting. So this meet is a music 
event. I've got a 64 there, Brett Bean, with one of those music maker keyboards that sits over the top of it. And I've got a really crusty Commodore uh, stereo, which is a bit like the Amstrad stereos that come out. It's oh, a component. sorry, I've got to stop you there. That was my first stereo, mate. I oh, have yeah, one of those. I, yeah. would, I would kill to get another one. Well, well you're going to hate me because I turned one down about another eight weeks ago, which I didn't really oh. wasn't really chatting to you there. And I said, no, nah, I don't really need another one. I don't have the room for it. I do know another bloke who's got two, so we'll see. We'll, we'll chat, Tony. But yeah, I'm gonna. I'm going to fire that up for the next retro night. So I'll bring my Beautiful. crappy Commodore bloody make believe stereo down, which is, <laughs> and get that fired up through the 64 and see if we can. I, I normally like, I'll, I'll get some demos and load them onto my SD card or some latest games from itch.io and put them on the 64 or just to, nice. you know, have it running in the background. When I'm at Adelaide Retro talking so much shit that I never really get on my computer and I'll just walk past it and change whatever game or demos running and that's about it. Yeah. So for me, it's an Amiga or 64. As you say, I'd like to have. Uh, a decent sized bench set up so I can rotate out a, a Tandy or a BBC or a Specky or something or an Amstrad. I've got an Amstrad CPC 6128 that I'd like to get out and play more often and do some Macari Warriors, etc. on it. Yeah. And we're just about out of time. Thanks for listening. We'd love to get your feedback. We don't have an official website or socials for the podcast itself, but more than happy for you to get in touch with me via my socials, OzRetroComp on Twitter, or oldbytes.space forward slash at OzRetroComp on Mastodon, as well as via the Adelaide Retro Computing Community Chat Facebook group. Yep, uh, you can send a message through the art group. I might pop my email address into the show notes if anyone wants to send us a random question. More than happy. Thanks, Craig. This has been an absolute great right. time. Thank you, Tony. It's been bloody gold. Thank, thank the listeners. Oh, oh, exactly. Thank you for listening. And until next time, see you later. See you from Grumpy Ozzers. Catch you later. Stay retro. 